God, we just pray that the word that you've given us, God, that your spirit would guide us to the truth this morning. Uh, We trust you, and we trust that you're going to speak. Give us soft hearts, God. Open our ears, open our minds um, to receive what you have for us. And I just pray that everything that we do, the things that I say, um, the decisions that we all make would draw us closer to you and closer to making an impact in this community and in the people in our lives, uh, the people all around us, God, who need you. Draw us close to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, this sermon series we're kicking off this morning, it feels like it's going to be big for our church. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's called Everything. The name of the series is Everything, but I think it could be big for our church as we talk about how do we leverage what we have to reach other people, people who are far from Jesus, and thus for God's glory. Um, We hope to share just a lot of examples from the Word, a lot of examples from this body right here, people that we know of this vision messing with people, what it looks like for imperfect people to leverage everything for those far from Jesus. Uh, We have a slide of this vision, I think. There's that slide, which is awesome. Um, maybe we don't have that, but the vision, imperfect people, leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. That's the vision of this church. I don't know about you, but I, I, I think about that. I'm like, I'm nailing it. You know, I got it. <laughs> At least the first part, like I'm nailing it. The imperfect people part, right? It's the leveraging everything part that maybe is a little bit harder for us to get our heads and our our hearts around. What does it look like? Maybe you're new. Maybe you haven't even heard that vision before. We want everybody to step into that vision and consider, what does it look like for me to leverage everything? We hope that it messes with you. Seriously. Like, this is a big vision. And if you're part of this church body, this vision is for you. Like, this is for your life. What are you going to do to leverage everything for those far from Christ? I wanted to give Kyle, Kyle, come on up, like a chance to talk about how this vision has messed with him, okay? And it's actually changed the way they're living and operating the Hansons. Um, and to share, of course, how good the Lord is in all of that. So uh, I'm going to shut up for quite a while here, give him a lot of space because I want you guys to hear the story. Give him a hand. Thanks, Kyle. There we go. Um, thank you so much, Keith, and thanks for the chance to be here. I, uh, man, I just got to start off by saying I'm, a, I'm such a mess, and this is a great example of what I want to talk about today, because this this vision messes with me, um, because it it constantly reminds me that my default way of approaching life is uh, has never been nearly as productive. Um, or as effective as when God has shown up. And, and, and Keith asking me to speak for 15 minutes is no exception. Because <laughs> what did I do? I sat down, well, I'm just going to put down a few ideas. What I was really saying was, Lord, get off the throne. I'm going to like step up there and start typing. And then, and then I have six pages of stuff. And I'm like, it's, that is not what God wants. Every time that God has done something amazing in my life, it's been because 
oftentimes, I didn't even pick it. But I ended up in the back seat, and I got to watch God show up and rock my world and do things that I never would have expected. And so, um, so I have a timer going, and I don't have any notes. And I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to show up and, and to work between us and to do something with this time. And, and so just pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you fill in the gaps. God, when we're honest, we really, really are just imperfect people. And that imperfection, it, it calls us to our need for a Savior. It calls us to our need for an intercessor, for someone that shows up and fills in the gaps. And God, I just pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would intercede, that you would, you would be the go-between, the helper that we have in our lives and that you've been promised to be, and that I would just be obedient, God, to, to what you have to say today, that I would just be a conduit and... Father, that you would be glorified because of, of our obedience. Okay, amen. Um, so, <clears throat> so there's a thousand things that I could talk about, and I thought, well, I, I do want to give you just a little bit of background because it's fun for me to, to think about all the places that God has filled in the gaps. And, uh, and the first one, I think, is just that I have, that I've had any opportunities. My, my dad was a self-professed kunas. I'm just going to say that here. He grew up in the bayous of Louisiana, and they didn't have plumbing or electricity until, um, until he was an early teenager. And his father um, was an alcoholic that worked in the oil fields of um, Texas and Louisiana, and they were regularly verbally abused. My dad never heard the words, I love you, growing up. And it dramatically changed the way that he treated us. Like, he did not miss a chance to tell me, I love you, Kyle. Um, but it also had, it had, like, baggage, man. He came out of a place, and, and he went through a ruined marriage. And I have an older brother that's 11 years older than me from my dad's first marriage. And, and I haven't spoken with him in three years. He, um, he's, he's in a... He's in a relationship with another guy, and we love him. But the way that my dad was raised set up his first family to kind of be a wreck. And in some ways, I even inherited that. I even inherited an inability to be able to, to think about what it looks like to live trusting someone else to fill my gaps. So I grew up trying to fill those gaps, trying to, um, trying to answer all the questions myself. And <clears throat> I just give that as a background because as I talk about all the cool things that have happened, it, like none of it has to do with me. None of it has to do with what my father taught me to do, which was just work really, really hard and you'll fix all the stuff or you can fill the gaps. It, it doesn't work that way. And I barely made it out of college. It took me six years. I went to three different schools. Um, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I was the first Hanson to graduate, though, so I guess that part of it is kind of fun. Um, even that is, is an example of God showing up in my freshman year and breaking me in a way that 
that helped me understand that what I was here to do was not meant to glorify Kyle Hansen. It was not meant to put me on the throne. I, uh, I went through a number of years of teaching. I'm a biologist by trade. And my wife is also a teacher. And my wife, Tammy, is like really the next to Jesus. That is the most important person that's ever shown up in my life. Because she brought into my life um, a degree of honesty and commitment and accountability that I had never had in my life. And, and so as I look back, I mean, it's so clear that the one time that I decided to do a relationship in a way that was God-honoring, Tammy shows up, and she comes into my life and changes the way that I see the world. Um, we're both teachers. We're living in the hood in Evansville, Indiana. We've got <clears throat> pit bulls next to us. We have a young daughter, and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. There's, like, regular domestic disputes breaking out, people running around the street screaming. And we were like, I don't know that this is going to work. This, this, whole, this whole direction is, is not working out. And so what did I do? I tried to fix it. I started this little side company, and I worked myself into oblivion, and I got to really, really ugly places in terms of how I spent my time and the things that I thought about and, and I brought secrets into my relationship. And it was yet another example of how I tried to fix it, and all it did was just enhance how imperfect I was and how badly I needed the Savior. And Tammy and I started praying about it, <clears throat> and we were like, we've got to do something different. And every idea that I came up with really didn't work. And there was another teacher that was with me at the time, and she said, well, you know what? My husband is this national sales director at this manufacturing company. Why don't you talk with him? And so I talked with this guy, Mark. And so I'm a teacher, right? I'm a biology teacher, and I'm talking to this manufacturing company. I mean, I have no business switching careers or doing anything else. I go through four months of interviews with everybody from, like, the salesperson, the CEO, and there's nothing is working. And so we're like, what is this, what is this going to end up looking like? And... And this guy, this friend of mine, calls me one day, and he says, I woke up last night at 2 a.m., and, and I had an idea for a position at Anchor. This is a 116-year-old company that, that was not good at change. And he said, I just want to let you know it took us six months to create a position the last time we had this idea. And so I'm, I don't want to promise you anything, but I just wanted to let you know because I never wake up with ideas like this. And... A few days later, he and one of the other people at Anchor walked in and pitched this idea to the CEO. And he calls me later in the week. And I'm like, how'd it go? He said, Kyle, you're not going to believe this. He said, we walked in and we pitched this idea. He said, I don't think it was seven minutes. And Pete, the CEO, was like, let's do it. This is awesome. He goes, he didn't even ask me what we were going to pay you. So, so here I am, a teacher that took six years to graduate college, and I all of a sudden have this opportunity to go work in a manufacturing company doing something that I've never been trained for and come to find out 48 hours before this mentor of the CEO walked into his office and said, you know what you need, Pete? In your organization, you need a person that does this, 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 and this. And two days later... These two guys walk in 
and have a conversation with the CEO of the company pitching an idea that Mark had a dream about, and it's the very thing that this mentor had told the CEO that he needed. And so I end up moving from teaching into manufacturing in a job that lets me go around and spend time with every single vice president of the company, learning what they do and understanding the entire organization and managing projects that I had no, I had no right to have my hands on. And, and that corner was ridiculous, and it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with what I'd done, what I'd shown up to do. Fast forward six years, and I've had the chance to, to have great teaching and learn all sorts of neat things. And a friend of mine calls my wife and I when we're in Texas and says, hey, um, we have this company, and the stuff that you've been doing at Anchor is really cool. Would you be willing to come work for Western Excelsior? And so we were like, man, that would be awesome. We could maybe even have more influence, do some, some neat things. I have no idea how it's going to work. And so we go through another three months of trying to understand what it looks like to create something. And one day he, he calls and he said, I don't think any of the stuff that we're talking about is going to work. If this is going to happen, you need to go to Colorado to where our biggest manufacturing plant is at, Minkus, Colorado. And, and you're going to have to move your whole family there. And Tammy and I were like, are you kidding? She'd, 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 never, had, she'd never left Evansville, Indiana. And so the idea of moving was, was ridiculous. And so we start looking at the cost of living and all the others, and we're like, this is never going to work. And so it's, it was clear that, that that was done, and there was going to be no opportunity moving forward. So we come up with, here's what it would take. It would take, it would take you paying for our house. It would take you paying us in this way, something that was four times what I'd ever made as a teacher. And so it seemed absolutely impossible. So I get on, Tammy and I pray, I get on the horn with Zach, my friend, and I'm like, Zach, man, I, this is going to be hard, but this is what we think it would take. He says, yeah, my brothers and my dad were just talking about this yesterday. That's exactly the number we were thinking. And so we were like, okay, we're like packing our stuff up and we're moving to Colorado. And so eight years ago, we landed in Colorado and we visited three different churches and, and we're like, I mean, it just does not feel like home. Turns out we walk 45 seconds from our house. We live in the townhomes right above here. We walked through the doors of grace, and I had just been taking our leadership team through the book Visioneering um, and the story of Nehemiah and trying to understand what it looks like to, to come up with a vision for Western Excelsior. And Justin Ross preaches on Nehemiah. And Chris Standridge meets us as we walk in and takes our kids down, and we go out to eat with the Alwines. And all of a sudden, it was like, we're We're home. Four years later, some really amazing things had happened at Western Excelsior. You know, I, I drove back and forth 2,000 times between here and Mancus over those four years. And I had two of my leaders get baptized and come to Christ in the time that I was there. And, and I got to see God just show up in amazing ways and do things because I was in so far over my head. I'm, I'm leading a plant of 150 people, and I'm a biology teacher. It's like, what the heck is going on here? And so every day I was forced to say, I don't know how I'm going to close the gap, God. And he has grown me over and over and over in ability to say, what's it look like to leverage? 
that's the part that I want to like really hammer home. And leveraging looks like getting on your face in front of God. And I don't know if, if that makes sense, but leveraging everything first starts out by like getting down and saying, this is about how much I have to offer. It's not getting up and grabbing a hold of it and doing everything that you can to try and fix it. It's starting by saying, there's a gap that exists, and it's bigger than I know what to do with, and it's there because God wants to show up and do something stinking awesome. And if I keep making my world smaller, I'm putting myself back on the throne. I've got to take that position of submission and say, it looks like just giving up. I've got to first give up. I've got gifts. I've got all this other stuff, and these opportunities are going to show up. God is going to use your gifts and talents. But you don't get to see them used fully and completely until we've started in a position of submission where God can, can work and close the gaps and say, look, the big pieces, I got the big pieces. So four years later, it was clear that Zach and I were going in different places, and it was really because I'd fallen in love with this place. I'd fallen in love with Grace Church and, and southwestern Colorado and all the people of Mancus, and that company wanted to sell the business unit, and so we were not um, meeting very well. And so we were in conflict all the time, and, and it made sense that I would leave. So I left, and I had this idea for starting something that would use locally harvested ponderosa pine. I was like, what if we could do something with ponderosa pine? And... <laughs> and so I did all sorts of research, and I tried to put it all together, and I built business plans, and none of it made sense. None of it worked. Um, it, it wouldn't, like the idea wouldn't let go of me. But, but slowly, our, my severance pay was going away, and it was getting closer and closer to the point where my, my family was not going to be able to eat. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm chasing this thing, and I don't think I'm chasing it the right way. And then God shows up, and he gives me an opportunity to spend three years traveling back and forth going to Arizona. And, and that gave me two things. It gave me um, a good chunk of change, which was missing in the first place. And it, it also gave me time to think about it. And it also gave me a, a second look at, oh my gosh, I love my family. And to get on a plane and leave 30 weeks a year and give the best that I have to some place that's not where I live is breaking my heart. About that time, two years into this whole thing, Grace comes up with this um, imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. And, and I realized that what was missing and what I was trying to do is it still wasn't tied to what God had for this place. And if, if we're going to leverage everything, that means that we have margin. So what struck me and the way that God tore me up with this vision was we're trying to tell people that you're supposed to leverage everything. People in this area, they don't have much to leverage. There's no margin. Most people can't stick. And there's two big levers. There's housing costs, and there's the availability of jobs. And so we were like, oh, what we're supposed to be doing is actually 
lowering the cost of housing, and creating jobs that pay differently. Because if we can't create margin, even in our own church, even in our own communities, people will never be in relationship. They'll never be having the conversations that they need to have in order to be able to leverage everything. If you want someone to know about Jesus, it comes because you show up in their life and you show love. How do you show love when you don't have any time to be in authentic relationship? And so for the last, God, God showed up by giving us a grant. He gave us a quarter of a million bucks from the Forest Service. And all of a sudden, we've, we've got this, this train that's rolling that I don't even know what to do with. And so, so now we're in this spot where we have, we've started a company. I have no idea how I'm going to pay myself next month. Every day I wake up and I'm like, this is the best. Because I, I'm like, that's the vision of grace. We're doing it. Like, we, we don't have anything else that we can put in. We put in our time. We put in our bank account. You know, you say, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you what's important to you. Like, we're there. And so I say that to say, Pray that God would show up in mighty ways and that he would do the same thing that he's done before, that we would be on our face, that he would show up in a way that is clearly him filling a God-shaped gap in our lives. That's where we're at, Keith. Um, I, hope, I hope that story like helps or kicks it off for you. I really appreciate the chance to be a part of Grace Church. I appreciate you all taking the time to listen. And I pray that God gets the glory for all the crazy things that are going to happen in this church because we figure out what parts of it, what parts of our life we haven't given to him. I should just wrap up right now. (laughs) That is exactly what I hoped. Yeah, it kicks it off well. And I think about, and, and we know each other pretty well. Um, he's pretty humble. But what he's doing, what his family's doing, I, I couldn't think of a better, not even myself. Like, I couldn't think of a better example of someone that is just on the ragged edge of walking out their faith and trying to leverage everything. Not just, I'm going to give you this little piece, but everything. And not having talked about where I was going. You couldn't have said that better, like where the Lord, I feel like, I'm going to use notes because I feel like the Spirit's going to use that too. But <laughs> thankfully, like that is where, that's where, that's where it's at. Like that's where God has led us. Please be praying for them, by the way. I mean, it is a ragged edge, right, of faith that they're walking out. And uh, the story is not written yet. And I, it's so comfortable to share a story that's already been written, right? But to come up and share, huh? I don't know how I'm going to pay myself. Like all of that stuff, it's real. It's happening now. Please pray for the Hansons. You guys do that? Okay, God, we pray for them right now. Um, if you know of other stories of someone that this vision has messed with them, please let us know. We want to see a lot of stories here in the next month. Is that a good sign? Um, so let me know. Let the elders know. My heart, as I prayed about it, was to share just two things that I think are going to set us up for real success. You already basically touched on it. I'm pretty sure that many of us don't feel like we have anything to leverage, right? There's no margin, as you said. 
how, when, how am I supposed to make this happen? I don't even have what I need. Like, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. Like, where is this coming from? What, what am I going to do? Please be encouraged. Because if tackling this vision feels like just another thing you can't get done, there is hope. Now, we want you to be faithful to wrestle with it and try to figure out what is it going to look like in our lives, in the lives of my family. But if it feels like a thing to do that you can't get done, could we just take it off the to-do list right now? At least for right now. Because Jesus promises, Matthew chapter 11, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And for all of us who tend to get and feel overburdened, like Martha, right, in the scriptures in Luke chapter 10, for all of us that just let our world spiral out of control and we forget the, the, actually the most important thing to do is to be with Jesus. For all of us, what do we need to do first before we can successfully take on this vision? So two things I want to talk about. And I don't want to be confusing, so we have a simple visual. Um, we have that one for sure. Yeah, okay. Here's where we want to get the vision. How do we leverage everything for those far from Christ? There's two things I want to talk about that I think... I don't know, the Lord led me to say this is going to lead us there. The first thing, this makes me a little nervous, but I want to introduce something into our vocabulary here at Grace Church. If you're a Baptist, hang on, okay? If you're charismatic, don't do cartwheels or anything crazy, right? Because we're going to talk about living in the overflow. How many of you have heard that term, living in the overflow? Okay. All right, maybe we don't have to unpack too much, but... I just want the Bible to define what that means. This is really a place where the Lord led me in, in thinking about this. We have to let the Bible speak to it. Otherwise, I don't know if you know, like, church people are crazy. Like, crazy stuff happens unless we're anchored in the Word. So what does it mean to live in the overflow? And this might get uncomfortable. I know it was for me. Because I'm going to read just a few things from the Bible that talk about what does it mean to live in the overflow? Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You can even close your eyes and pray and ask yourself, am I living in an overflow of hope? Psalm 23, you know this. Prepare a table for me. You know in my head, my cup what? Overflows. Would, would you say, or would someone else in your life say, yeah, their cup is like full to overflowing. John 7 and John 14, a couple from John. says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow these rivers of living water. And these verses from last week. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works. Am I living in an overflow of these good works? Like they just flow out of me. Is that you? First Thessalonians. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Am I living in an overflow of love for the people sitting right here with us and for everybody else? Galatians 5.22, you know these verses, the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, no judgment if you're not living in this overflow yet, Okay. 
Maybe it's a season, hopefully a short season, but I'm not throwing stones because I, I, I'm having to wrestle with this too. Am I living in an overflow of all of that from Galatians, like the fruit of the Spirit? How about joy in particular? One of my favorite struggles. First Peter 1. Though you've seen him, you love him. No, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. An overflow of joy. I love how it says, rejoicing with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Wow, is that ever me? Is it ever you? Ephesians 3. How about just the overflow of God in you, filled with all the fullness of God? How about living in that overflow? Or, or like the key verse here, John 10.10. 10. We know what the thief does, but Jesus talking here says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Are you living what you would call, or anybody else would call, an abundant life? Living in an overflow? I think this needs to be part of our terminology, part of our conversation here at Grace. We're not asking for prosperity in all things, okay? That's a different gospel. That's not what we're teaching. But we should be praying for that abundant life that Jesus promised us, to be living in that overflow. We should be asking people to pray for us. Man, I'm just not living in the overflow. Would you pray for me? Like We need to identify this in one another as maybe something that we need to pray about. Or pray for me like I'm suffering through this terrible thing. Pray that I would overflow in joy and in hope in the midst of it. Why? Why this first thing? Why live in an overflow? We're blessed to be a blessing. We're, we're filled with hope so that people see that in us and we offer that hope to them. We're filled, so filled to overflowing with Jesus that he's sticking out all over the place and people see him in us and they want to know what that is. Our lives overflow because then we can leverage something. Anything, everything. We can leverage ourselves for those far from Jesus. Overflow is a place where we are freely, truly able to leverage everything. Can we please? May we only like get to that last line from the second line. Okay? Don't stay there forever, like, oh, I'm not overflowing yet, so I'm not going to accomplish a vision. Like it needs to kind of all happen at once. But can we please? Try and get to vision from a place of overflow so that it's God doing it, not us. Not, we're not grinding it out, all oh, the vision, you know, i got to get that done. No, let's let God do it through us out of an overflow in our lives. Doesn't it just sound good anyway? Not just to accomplish a vision, but <gasps> I want to live that abundant life. I've always heard about it. I want to be there. So take tackling the vision off your list if it feels like just another thing to get done. And let's live in an overflow first. Then you could fairly ask, I don't know how to get there either. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how to do the vision. You're telling me just overflow first. What does that mean? So here's the third thing, right? And this is what Kyle touched on so brilliantly. 
It's a simple answer. We need to surrender. Surrender to Jesus who came so that we can live, we can have life, and we can have it to the full. We can have it abundantly. We can overflow. To get there, we've got to start here. Surrender. I mean, if you need examples, you check out the disciples. Check out the early church. You know, like, why do we not see more Stephen types and, and Peter? These early Christians, at least in this country, Christians who just overflowed with life, with love for people around them, wisdom and the Holy Spirit, hope and passion. And they were able and fully willing to leverage their lives, even their deaths. Why don't we see that today more? Because we're not overflowing. Why are we not overflowing? Because we refuse to surrender to Jesus. Maybe we don't know what that we should. Maybe we don't know how. Whew, such a short message to like deal with all this stuff. But take me out to lunch. I'll give you some details. But <laughs> Matthew 16 tells us a lot. If you need some first steps here, Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What an awesome verse that is. First it says, If. If anyone would come. Are you willing, first of all? To follow. Second, it says, deny yourself, take up your cross. Are you living for yourself or for you and your family, for your pleasure, for your safety, security, whatever it is? Could you deny all that? And actually, in stronger terms, it's implied in that verse. Could you die to that? It says, take up your cross, die to that, or let that stuff be dead to you. Third, Having died to all that, can we simply place Jesus above everything else in our lives and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Show me what to do. By the way, there's great encouragement in that next verse 25. Whoever would save his life would lose it. Don't we already experience that? Like everything that we try to hang on to, whether it is safety, security, blessing, happiness, pleasure, it's, it's so fleeting, isn't it? So easily lost, but if we would surrender it for Jesus, well then, then we'll have life. Then we'll have it abundantly, life overflowing, a life we can truly leverage. For the Christian, our fear shouldn't be losing our lives. It should be that we fail to live, to truly live the full, abundant life that he's promising us. So surrender to Jesus. If we could see that little illustration again. Surrender first so that we can live in an overflow. So that we can really successfully accomplish the vision that we can leverage everything for those far from Jesus. We're going to have the band come back up. Give us a chance to kind of take a step toward this. Surrendering completely might feel like it's just impossible. But I love, man, that God helps us in this too. Like, Mark chapter 9, Jesus is telling this man, anything's possible if a person believes. And the man cries out, I do believe, but please help me because I don't believe either. <laughs> like it's, I, Help me overcome my unbelief. Basically, I'm going to do my best, Jesus, but I can already tell you, it's not going to be enough. And that can be our cry as we worship together in this song. You can cry out in the same way, 
Jesus, I'm going to completely surrender to you today so that then I can really have something to leverage. But could you help me do it? Because I want to surrender, but I don't either. You know, like I'm, and it's not fickle. It's not like double-minded. It's just honest. We can be honest with him as we sing this song. We can be real. We can be humble. I just encourage you to sing and to joyfully proclaim the best you can, as loudly as you want. I surrender. I surrender. Jesus, though, would you help me to surrender? Because I can't do it by myself.